Welcome back to the Impact Arte podcast. Hello, everyone. In this episode, I'm pleased to present to you a conversation I had some time ago with Sarah Zanussi. At the time of the recording of this conversation, Sarah was the founder and executive director of the Communication Project. However, as of the time of the publication of this episode, she is now working as senior consultant at Collectivity in Minnesota. I hope you will find this conversation useful. In this conversation, we delve into the topic of how to measure and understand the results achieved by a music project at the community level. Sarah, in the conversation, is able to point out different research as well as her own experiences when it comes to understanding, using, and developing different metrics to measure and keep track of the impact that these music education projects are having on individuals as well as on the community. I think this topic is very important, especially if you want to understand the results that you are achieving on the ground, as well as to be able to collect all that data and present that later for different purposes, for example, for fundraising activities. Without further ado, I now present to you the conversation with Sarah Zanuzzi. So for everyone listening, I have the pleasure to be talking today to Sarah Zanuzzi. Sarah, could you please tell us who you are, what you are doing, and uh, a little bit of your career um, track so far? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Marcelo. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am currently the founder and executive director of Communication, which is an El Sistema-inspired program here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, prior, I received my master's two years ago in international development and education and did my thesis on um, various Colombian music for social change programs um, and looking at the connection between how character skills, and we'll get more into this later, but self-determination and youth agency skills intersect with being in a music ensemble, especially as a young person. Um, this all started from a very random job opportunity I had right after college in Arusha, Tanzania, where I worked for a program called the Emoja Arts Project. And uh, it was an opportunity to really bridge expatriate children with Tanzanian children through music. And so in that, really seeing the power that giving music to children who usually wouldn't have it um, the resources to do so, um, and seeing the, the transformative power of music from their performance academically to how they interacted socially to leadership skills. It was just, it was incredible to see what happened in a mere school year. So that's really what started me on the journey um, in, this, in this field. And then I went to Boston and was a Sistema Fellow at New England Conservatory for a year and learned more about what the heck El Sistema was and why everyone loved it so much and definitely uh, believed in it and got to see the program in, firsthand across the U.S. as well as spending a month in Venezuela. And that was incredible to see the true 
motherland, shall we say, of of the program. And then I've been back in Minnesota. When was that? That was 2012 to 2013. So it would have been February 2013. And then I've been back in Minnesota. Excuse me. Yeah, no, that's right. 2012 to 2013. Um, And then I came back to Minnesota the next summer and started a program here. And the program that you're running right now is? That is called Communication. And so our mission is to empower urban youth with skills for success through music, service, and community. And something that makes our program pretty unique is various programs in Sistema. I want to say there's over 100 uh, nationwide, but we are one of the only programs that is chorally based. And so we use the music ensemble, similar to the orchestra programs, but we use the power of the voice because we know that everyone has a voice. And so really building strong voices, both musically, but also being voices in our community as leaders of tomorrow, as our young people um, go through life. So we really focus on youth choice and youth leadership and making sure that they have a say in our program. I'm sure that you're going to share with us the links and any any other resources where people can actually find find out more about this project later on i'm going to put that all on the um, episodes webpage so anybody who is interested can also have a look at this at this project i'd be happy to excellent great so i think that's a perfect um, background context for this conversation i was very intrigued to hear that you had uh, experience in this colombian music project could you Tell us what's the name. Do you know if they're still ongoing? A little bit more details on that. Of course. So I received a Judd Fellowship, which was really what made it possible through the University of Minnesota in 20, it would have been summer 2017. And I was in Colombia for five weeks with three and a half of those weeks being research. And so I was working with three different programs in three different regions. I was mostly the largest time. I was two weeks with La Red, which has a much longer name that I should know off the top of my head, but I don't. <laughs> um, but La Red means a network of um, a network in Spanish. And it was a music program. And it was really fascinating um, because it was the only one that I saw that was sponsored by a mayor's office. And so as a result, the scale that it had was just absolutely incredible. Every single neighborhood had a school of music that youth would either go in the mornings or in the afternoons to music, and then they'd go to school the other half of the day. And some things that really stood out from that specific program were all of the instruments were kept at the site so that they didn't have to worry about, um, you know, things getting lost or whatnot. But it really showed the dedication of these youth coming in purely to just practice. Um, and they were in orchestra rehearsals till 8 p.m. at night. Um, they also had certain sites that were band or orchestra. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Colombia has quite a rough history with violence and gangs, even 20 years ago. Um And so when all of that happened, um, there was a really tragic incident of a youth who had crossed what they call um, fronteras invisibles, which translates as invisible boundaries, um, into a gang territory. And this child obviously didn't know that he was doing so and was shot. And now gang member family members are participating in the programs and a child carrying an instrument case is a symbol 
of them being safe. And so no one has been killed. The gangs are still there, but it's much, much more, um, it's much safer now. And the, the instruments that they carry are literally a symbol of peace. And so if they know that the child is in the program, nothing will happen, which was just an incredible testimony to the impact of the program. I had the pleasure of speaking with quite a few students and just hearing their experience and the amount of them that were studying music professionally at college now was just incredible, especially being from um, lower income neighborhoods where usually their parents specifically were saying, you know, don't be a musician, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a scientist, you know, and some of them were going on that path. But the amount of them that had the agency and the autonomy to say, no, I don't want to be a scientist. I want to be a musician, despite, you know, growing up in a background with with hard realities of poverty and whatnot, was just it 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 was just incredible to see that um that determination and that ability to say, no, I'm, I'm going to do this because this is what I love. Um, and so, yes, to answer your question, Marcel, the program has been going on since the early 90s and is still very, very strong. I picked up one detail when you mentioned that there was a strong support from the, mayor, from the mayor's office, which, in my opinion, kind of like shows that these initiatives require a lot of public support to a large extent to to be successful and sustainable. In your experience, what do you think about that? Because that's a little bit of a challenge when you have a lack of political commitment, right, to cultural and music initiatives and activities. So how, how to overcome that and what's the role of other actors as well, other stakeholders? So as I said, I went to three different programs in Colombia, and that was one of them. One was Tambores de Silue, and the other one was Batuta. And Batuta, I think, was the the most comparable to the programs here in the U.S. because it had government support, but it still had to raise other funds. And Tambores de Silue was um, by a corporation, I believe. I don't remember the exact... Um, corporation, but I can say it was a very well-to-do corporation that was sponsoring it. And Batuta um, had a lot of money from all the displaced families and youth when all of these gangs were happening and and children were being um, recruited as child soldiers and all of these horrible travesties. Um, the, the government I don't remember the exact figure, but they set aside a significant amount of money for these displaced youth um, to to have rebuilding and reconstruction efforts. And so their program at Batuta was really interesting because it wasn't so much about playing an instrument and being, you know, that is your lifetime career. They did have those programs, but the programs I saw were much more about um, the, the youth being, um, using music as a reconstruction and a way to work through trauma and all of the horrible things that these, these youth had witnessed. And so I just bring that up because both those programs had a government, um, effort, both in Medellin of trying to, you know, reinvent the city as an artsy, um, safe place and, and, uh, uh, Batuta, which is a national program, but the one I saw was in Bogota, 
of seeing it as a way for reconstruction. And so I, I guess in some ways the U.S. has that through National Endowment for the Arts um, and other, you know, programs like that, art, art space and, and stuff like that but not nearly the support. And like I said, I mean, La Red literally had it for 95% of their funding comes from the government. So I think it's a really large difference. And, you know, El Sistema, that communication and all the programs, you know, worldwide at this point were inspired by, um, have, it's a huge difference that we need to acknowledge because when you don't have a, how do you say a main body that then, you know, programs filter out, you have this program and this program and this program and every program responds to its own community, which is a beautiful thing. And from a funding perspective creates quite a bit of a challenge. So I appreciated you bringing up that difference. Cause I think that's a really big difference of even programs like Sistema Scotland, or I believe Sweden, don't quote me on that one, but um, quite a few programs outside the U S have, basically 100% or really close to 100% of funding from the government. And in the US, I think our budget has 20%, which is very high because Minnesota has a lot of arts funding. But I know most programs in the US of my colleagues have no funding from the government. And so it ends up being much more of a fundraising thing (laughs) and how good you are at fundraising than um, how good your work is. Yeah, thank you so much for for elaborating a little bit on that i think that's a very important point and hopefully whoever is listening to these especially if there's they have some connection to policy making they will be able to influence public policies in support of these initiatives so let's now move on to the main topic of this conversation which is also your field of expertise that i'm very interested in which is the connection between music and social impact so you've done a lot of research, you have all these experiences. How how can we, in more specific terms, more tangible terms, make that, that link between um, music, music education in this case, with social impact? You already touched on, on this in, from different ways, in different ways from your experience. But probably, how can we frame that in a more sort of like academic or intellectual framework that we can start using that as a, you know, as a reference point whenever we are thinking of different initiatives or new initiatives or new activities to be undertaken, particularly having in mind the need for or the growing need for measuring and reporting on those impacts, which I think is crucial if we want to keep promoting these activities, right? Because usually, in my opinion at least, um, these initiatives, these activities need more visibility, right? They need to be promoted more aggressively so that people become become more aware of them, of their existence, their usefulness, their impact. Um, But for that, we also need to... um, make more visible the actual impact, right? What is happening? What is the end result of all that? And how is that contributing to social development? So maybe with that <laughs> with that comment, you can probably tell us a little bit more about um, your research and how you see these from a more academic or intellectual point of view. 
Yeah, it's a great question, Marcelo. And I did my minor in program evaluation because I just feel like you just said so beautifully, if you don't have a measure of an impact of something, you know, you work so hard at these initiatives. And if you don't know what you're doing, then why are you doing it? Um, so I have a few different responses. And I'm actually going to start with one that I haven't spoken of. Um, I had the pleasure of presenting at the Community Music Activity Special Interest Group of the International Society for Music Education in Tbilisi, Georgia. Um, didn't ever think I would be in the country of Georgia. And as I learned, Georgia actually has a very strong singing tradition there. And it was incredible to see these children of maybe third grade singing, not just a cappella, meaning without accompaniment, but completely in tune and they never took pitch. I mean, here, you know, in a choir, you hum the pitch all through the choir before you start the song. They would just start and they would start in four part harmony or six part harmony or eight part harmony. And it didn't even phase them. And the only reason I bring this up is as you look at their crime rates, which are non-existent, as you look at the cohesiveness of the country, of course, there are the political reasons of it being small and all of that, but the, the it definitely begs the question of, has this musical influence that the joke is they're singing in the birth canal, you know, as they're coming out of the birth canal. I mean, they're singing from the time they are literally in, on this earth um, up until, you know, they pass away. And it's not like you're in a music ensemble. It is it is part of who you are as a Georgian to sing and eat. And, you know, you go to a restaurant and people would just be singing or dancing or whatnot. It's just so integrated into their culture. And so I just bring it up because in, you know, there's a lot of research that shows people who sing together can synchronize their heartbeats and people who sing together um, tend to be more engaged in their communities and community service and volunteerism. And there's a lot of research that goes to show that. Um, but if you look at this country that is just so involved in singing and yet has no crime rate, and is that pure coincidence? Or, I mean, I just have to feel that there's at least a correlation, if not a causation for that. So I just wanted to bring that up. Um, the main area that I would say I have a lot more expertise and, and research founded in is, is the connection between youth development and character skill building and how the music ensemble is a conducive environment for those. Um, my whole career started, as I said, in this work in Arusha, Tanzania. And in one year, seeing the youth that we worked with, especially the ones from um, that didn't have music prior to Umoja going into those schools, um, and seeing their test scores go up, seeing their confidence levels increase, seeing them be more inquisitive, be willing to ask questions. And we were rehearsing for our concert and we assumed that the Tanzanians, you know, it was like an hour to two hours out in the bush, um, wouldn't be able to make the concert. And lo and behold, they showed up with dust all over their faces from being on the Dala Dala, the local bus. Um, but they showed up even though they were, I don't know, third, fourth grade by themselves, you know, their parents weren't involved, weren't able to be there. But to see that kind of responsibility of feeling that ownership um, was just incredible. And I remember one of their fathers um, 
my one of my favorite stories, although sad stories, was this son named Yusto, who was a drummer and was just always smiling, a natural leader, doing so well in school. And one day Yusto wasn't in school. And his father had pulled him out because he said, I didn't bring my son to go to the school to be an effing musician. You know, he implied that he was meant to be a doctor or whatnot. And that quote, it, it made me so sad that I never got to see Yusto again. But it really, I have tried to do all of my work to prove that father wrong in that music has really shown to be a conducive way to building character skills. And in Paul Tuff's How Children Succeed book, in all of the research I've done, it's shown that character skills are the number one indicator to life success. And I use the words life success because it goes beyond college graduation rate. It goes beyond teen pregnancy rate. It goes beyond, you know, incarceration rate or drug use or any of those things. It's showing like across all of those measures and more um, that if you have a strong set of character skills, you will succeed in those. And so El Sistema and, you know, youth development and really any creative youth development program is really essential in building those because these things that some people call soft skills, I want to call essential skills, and I've, I've deemed skills for success as the least jargony term, have really shown to be the reason why these programs work. So I could go on all day, but uh, there's at least a little teaser. <laughs> that was fascinating. And I think that goes precisely at the core of what I want to discuss with you. First question on that. Is this an education or educational project or is this a music project? It's a really good question, Marcelo. I think I like to say we use music as the vehicle or the tool to develop the educational skills. And it's not so much, I mean, there's a lot of research that shows, you know, music helps literacy and math. And I don't want to undermine that by any means. And the thing I'm really um, trying to make a link against or for is the connection between teamwork and leadership and communication skills, the skills that every job and every human, regardless of job, needs in order to succeed in college, in um, any type of career, in addition to the technical skills. So I there's a strong correlation of music with literacy. If a kid can't keep a strong beat, the chances of them being able to read are very slim. That is fascinating. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, of you know, music is, is fractions. I mean, that's what it is, a quarter note versus a whole note versus a half note. Um, but the I learned this the other day. The violin, the way you hold the bow, this, I'm trying to see how to think how to do this for, for listeners, but the act of when you grip a pencil, I guess is how I can say it, is connected exactly where in your brain your memory is. And so that's why you probably remember things better when you write them down than when you type. Um, but just things in addition to the academic side, there's strong research for that. 
I think the part that we don't see the strong research for are these, what I call character skills. Some people call soft skills. Some people call socio-emotional skills. I think character skills embodies a larger, a larger body of these, of these skills. Um, and the pro-social skills of a youth feeling confident enough to raise their hand or speak up or perform. You know, if you can perform on a stage, you can certainly present at a business conference or if you, or sell a product or, you know, whatever the job tends to be. Um, and I remember in the recession, Best Buy was, was actually hiring a lot of music majors because they knew that they could present themselves well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I don't even know if it's necessary to make that distinction. I was just asking because when I discuss about this topic with other colleagues in the um, international development field, you know, some of them prefer to focus on supporting more education policies. And some others will actually point out the fact that this is a particular area, which is not necessarily only education, but it also comprises a little bit more than education. But I think the discussion is ongoing. But at, at the end of the day, what matters is probably the impact, right? What is actually what these activities are creating. Well, Marcelo, go ahead. Sorry, if I may add to what you were just saying. Um, I really think that the it's an important distinction to make because there's plenty of music programs that are not educational programs in the sense of developing those specific skills. Of course, every music program, you're going to learn music. But the reason why I think that's such an important distinction is because of all of our conservatories and the rigidness of, you know, you have to be this good to get an audition. You have to be this good to be able to study in conservatory. You have to be this good, even once you have the music degree, to actually go be a professional musician in an orchestra or a choir or, you know, whatever music ensemble. And that environment is the opposite of what we need in order to build these skills. And in my master's research, uh, my second question, I had three research questions. My second one was about if music was a good, um, a music environment was a good conduit to building character skills. And the short answer is yes. But the thing I learned more was I was trying to look originally in my hypothesis for, oh, I think these specific skills are going to help build character skills or stronger character skills. And what the only intersection I found, every author had a different opinion on what skills were the most important. But the one commonality I saw in my whole literature review of, I don't even know how many sources at this point, a significant amount, was that the caring environment was, beyond music programs, in any learning environment, was the one steadfast commonality. And if you don't have that caring environment, most likely youth are not going to feel like they can trust you. Most likely youth are not going to feel confident. Most likely youth are not going to feel like they can take risks and try these new things. And so I just wanted to add that because I think it's a really important distinction of we are a music program, but first and foremost, we are a youth development or an education program that is using music as the tool because there's so many music programs that don't have that caring environment that I think is a is a grand problem we need to fix. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you. That's a great addition to, to what we're discussing. I have the following comment, and I would like to know your opinion on this. 
it seems to me, but maybe I'm happy to be enlightened by you. It seems to me that that there is a lot of analysis and research already done on how this type of activities, for example, music education and participating in a music under musical undertaking will effectively contribute to this um, character skills development, right? My feeling is that they remain at the individual level, so they are looking at how this is affecting or impacting the um, character development of a specific individual, which is great. That's the starting point. I feel like we now need to aggregate that to try to figure out what is the impact at the social level, right? Like a, a community level probably first so that we can translate that into a broader context. Because at the end of the day, when you talk to policymakers, you need to make the case that this is going to contribute to some kind of national development objective, right? And then when you get into that discussion, you are competing with other priorities, other developmental priorities. So to the extent that we can move from an individual based analysis, which is necessary and it's important, it's that that's actually the starting point, to a more community and then social level by aggregating all those insights and trying to systematize the way this impact is actually captured and recorded, we can probably also try to now make the case for greater prioritization in policy making. Would you agree with that? And what comments would you have on, on that particular aspect? You're asking some tough questions, but they're good. Um, I really, I think it's something that the US has a disadvantage in um, if we're talking a, on a country level, because you know Venezuela has done that. And I think that's why in addition to the diplomacy of Maestro Jose Antonio Abreu, who was the founder of El Sistema and his ability to navigate both both political parties, you know, his regardless of of um, leader of the country, he's been able to keep the program. He now he passed away, I think, two years ago, but rest in peace. But the the ability that he had because of his ability to navigate politics and and be a diplomat. But in addition, you know, people must have seen the power of music, regardless of party lines. And um, I don't want to speak too far to this, but I know Sweden and Scotland are two programs that I have specifically either witnessed or, or talked to their leaders about. And, and they get it. And, you know, you look at Finland, which is a program excuse me, is a country that has education as, you know, a, being a professor is the most revered profession in that country. And, and everyone aspires to be Finland with, you know, how well they do on tests and all of those things. And you can't help but notice they have a huge focus on the arts in their education program. So I think we are at a huge disadvantage in the U.S. because we don't prioritize that and we don't have a large history with programs that have been documented 
um, you know, El Sistema USA is working on compiling statistics and we can say, you know, there's this many students and whatnot, but we're not at a point where we're saying this has been the social impact with, you know, the academics or socially or anything like that. And so, like you said, Marcelo, like we're really at a point where we're only looking at it at a community level. This is what our impact is in Philly. This is what our impact is in LA, et cetera. Um, but we can't aggregate or we haven't aggregated that. We certainly could, but we, we would need to put resources and focus on that. So I very much agree with you. Um, as far as something to add to it, I think my time in Colombia really, really spoke to this point because 20 years ago, um, it was a place full of, you know, gangs and very, very unsafe. And now it is such an arts focused and arts booming city that I don't even remember how many students, but thousands of students participate and every single neighborhood has a music program through this mayoral um, Lared. And I don't think that the mayor would be willing to invest at that level if they didn't believe in the program. So I think it's definitely something that we need to focus on more in the U.S. and absolutely needs to be focused on in order to make policy. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, there have been music programs. I don't want to say there haven't been music programs that have been around a long time, like the settlement music program in Philly. Um, but that is only to one small community. And so we don't have, to my knowledge anyway, any national program that is in every single city that we can say, look at this is happening regardless of community. We can only say it at a community level. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, thank you for those comments. Can I ask you, in terms of metrics, when you talk about, for example, um, music helping character development or developing some important, as you, as you mentioned, core skills, what kind of metrics are typically considered to measure that? It's a great question. I'm going to answer this in the pre-pandemic <laughs> because in the pandemic world, um, it's a lot harder to do formal evaluation since everyone is everywhere. So I'm going to answer it pre-pandemic. Um, at communication and in a lot of youth development programs, there is a tool called the SEO. It's Student, uh, Student Achievement of Youth Outcomes. And it's a assessment that's a pre-post um, as with any tool, there are limitations, of course, but it's just the one that we have used. And it's really helped us be able to measure things like um, leadership skills, communication skills, if they feel the program has helped them do better in school, if the program has helped them feel they have improved socially, make new friends, um, if the program has helped them with thinking, crit uh, critical thinking, problem solving, um, there's specific ones you can do if you think the program or your program is helping students in a specific subject area. So if you think it's going to help them be a better writer or a better scientist or mathematician or whatnot. Um, so that's one that we use on a local level, mostly because we receive it in kind through our youth development network. Um, there are a plethora of tools that I could you know, go on about, but the one that we you that I used um, in Colombia, and I think this is the one that you're you're referring to, is used to measure um, 
self-determination skills. And the reason I chose this is kind of what you were saying, Marcelo, about the community aspect. But I wholeheartedly believe that agency, regardless of how you get there, is the ultimate indicator of success. Because if someone believes that they have control over their ability to do anything, then they're going to be able to achieve it. That's how we are going to understand agency, right? Can you please repeat that that concept? I think that's very important. Yes. So agency, I am defining in non-academic terms. I, I can happily give you an academic definition, but for, for layman's terms, is the ability to say, I can do whatever I want to do, and I have the ability to do it. So it is my decision. I am the one that is acting in this way. Very good. I think I interrupted you. So you were talking about these metrics with regards to agency. So self-determination has quite a few um, factors. And I took three of those factors, which were autonomy, empowerment, and agency. Um, in looking at self-regulation is the one I was unable to measure just because I wasn't there long enough to do. Sorry, can you repeat autonomy? Yeah, autonomy, meaning I have choice in what I'm doing. Empowerment, meaning I feel like I am able to do something, I have the ability to do something. And then agency, as I defined, you know, I, I can do this, I'm able to do this. And so those three were the ones I looked at in these Colum these three Colombian music programs. And how did you measure them? Because I was only there for three and a half weeks, most of it was qualitative. Um, I did do a survey uh, with a specific tool Marcel, I, I am blanking because it's been three years of what the tool was called, but I could certainly put that in our notes if you... Yeah, no problem. We're going to add that to the episode's notes for sure. Because <laughs> I'm not remembering the name of the tool off, offhand. But I do remember that the tool was used specifically, and so I had to make an adaptation of it for youth who had various disabilities and were trying to measure you know, their progress in feeling able to do something. So we adapted the tool to obviously a different population. Um, but it was a survey that had a lot of questions of, you know, I feel confident enough to state my opinion, or I often state my opinion. So I think it was a, a rating scale of one to five. And so I aggregated all of those and looked and saw, okay, this many people felt this way, this many people felt this way. And it, it had some really interesting results. And the thing that I just cannot to this day forget were the interviews I had with the students and the stories that they told of their resilience, of their love of music, of how music has truly, I mean, you hear this as a trite thing, but truly saved their lives from not being involved in the gang or not being a pregnant teen or, or, you know, getting involved with drugs or dropping out of school. You, I just heard those stories person after person after person. And it was just so evident that this place wasn't only a safe place for them, but it was truly their family. And, you know, a statistic is one thing, but to hear these heartfelt stories was just so much more powerful for me. It's a fascinating story, and I would love to spend even another hour talking about all these. But I, I hope that these provided a good context and framework to listeners. Is there something else you'd like to tell us about what you're up to these days? 
Yeah. Um, so obviously in the pandemic, things look very different. Um, one of the positives is because we are all now in the same nucleo, as they say in the Sistema world, the same environment of the wonderful world of, you know, Zoom or Google Meet or, or video at least, um, we are all able to interact with each other's programs. So one that we did this summer that I was really proud of, I worked with colleagues in Utah, in LA and Connecticut, and we made a virtual summer camp for our youth to be able to interact across the country. And thanks to some amazing teaching artists of those programs, we uh, created and learned various um, aspects of, you know, what makes a rock song a rock song. And then we made a rock song and we did that with alternative country and hip hop. And to be able to form that community across the country was was a really cool thing. So we've been trying to bring in more guest artists. Um, right now we have a uh, virtual composer in residence from Mexico working with us, Julio Morales. And so the youth are able to do a lot more of their songwriting. Um, but the thing that I've, in, in light of the character skill conversation we've had, the thing that I have noticed is how much more stark it is of, you know, in a classroom, it's pretty easy to not raise your hand or to participate, you know, um, timidly, I guess you could say, or to not participate. I guess that's an option too. But it's really hard to tell in a classroom setting, aside from the youth who are, you know, constantly raising their hands, who feels confident enough to express themselves. And now that we're in this virtual world, the thing that I have noticed more than any other impact, even in, you know, a one week camp is youth that don't feel comfortable turning on their uh, camera at the beginning of the week. And even five days later are willing to turn that camera on. And if you look at that in a larger life scheme, I mean, if you don't present yourself well during a job interview or, a college interview or a scholarship interview or, you know, the, the list goes on. It's really the difference between you being able to get to that next step or not. And of course, there's other factors that that lead to being able to get to that step. I don't want to say that equity is not important because it absolutely is um, in creating an accessible world. But the ability that once you've gotten to that step and you've been given that opportunity, it's really confidence and self-esteem are so important in being able to present yourself to get to that next step. So that's just something that I have learned in this virtual world so much more starkly um, than prior. You know, I believed, and I think I told you this before we started, Marcelo, of performance being such an important part of the youth development character skill link because it's a positive risk-taking environment. And there's been a lot of research done by Shirley Bryce Heath that shows that youth who participate in a positive risk-taking opportunity, such as a performance on an instrument or singing, are less likely to participate in negative risk behavior, such as gang activity or um, drug use or, you know, the things that you want to feed your adolescent mind that just is craving that adrenaline. And, you know, so many youth turn to things like gangs because they need those same things that we can provide in these youth development programs. So I just feel like that difference has been a huge, um, a huge awakening. And, and that's a great lesson, probably right from these from these times that we have to adapt to, 
So I'm very, very happy to hear that. And it's also encouraging to hear that despite the pandemic, these initiatives are still ongoing and they're adapting to these new times. I don't know how long it's going to take, but in any case, the work continues, which is, which is great. Well, and if we don't, if we don't provide a sense of community, I mean, we are humans. We're meant to be tribal, you know, collective people. And when we're all separate, we have to find a way to continue to connect, if anything. And, you know, music obviously looks very different through a screen. But if we don't do that, I wholeheartedly believe, you know, that's what's going to keep us going. That's what's going to keep giving us optimism and hope and and everything we need. And this is a whole nother thing. So I won't go down too far down the rabbit hole. But a sense of hope was another indicator on another test that I chose not to use. But it showed that youth who had that sense of hope were so much more likely to be successful than youth who didn't. And I mean, that, that shouldn't be too surprising if you think about it. I mean, if you believe in yourself, again, it comes back to agency. If you believe in yourself, you're more likely to succeed than if you're not. You know, the more I hear about all these experiences, the more it seems to me that we need a multidisciplinary team composed of psychologists, in any case, behavioral psychologists, um, sociologists, anthropologists, musicians, music teachers, political uh, sciences, to try to figure this all out and try to really understand, you know, how to, how to figure out a way to systematically measure and um, report on these impacts at the, you know, larger societal level. And they were doing that in Colombia. They had a social worker, they had a psychologist, they had a, it wasn't an anthropologist, but it was someone along those lines. So they, they really were able, and they funded all of that. And I think that's the biggest thing is in the US when funding, you know, you want to pay your people and, and some programs are still at a volunteer level. Um, and so it's like, if you can't even pay your staff, you know, things like paying outside evaluators and then multi- faceted evaluators is is a whole nother thing but i always joke you know people ask you know oh, are you in the youth development world are you in the social justice world are you in the music world are you in the education world and i'm like yes all of the above and more i mean the amount of things you know social work i am definitely not a formal social worker but the amount of social work i've had to do you know being a white ally and a racial equity advocate has been a huge part. And so there's just been so many parts to this work of, you know, I think it's a lot more uh, gray than just education and music and youth development. That's, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. So I, I fully, fully agree with you. Do you know if that analysis or report is published somewhere? The one that you just mentioned in Colombia? Yes, I don't know if it's in English. Okay, but for all the Spanish speaking audience, we can probably make that available. Yeah, I can certainly be in touch with, um, his name is escaping me. I can see his face right now. Um, Anibal. I can be in touch with Anibal and see if, if we can do that. And there's, there's a lot of research. Um, you know, I'm happy to put my thesis up there, but there's a lot of research for this specific program. It is all in Spanish. Um, but if that is of interest, Batuta, if you go to Batuta, if you just type in Batuta Colombia, I would be shocked if it didn't come up. Um, and La Red Musica Medellin, um, and all of their research is right on their website. Excellent. We're going to definitely include that in the episode notes so can people also can refer to that. 
So, Sarah, thank you so much. This has been a very interesting and insightful conversation. Really enjoyed it a lot. Is there something else you would like to say in closing, probably for people who are listening to you, how they can connect with you? Or... Yeah, I am happy to. I'm on LinkedIn, Sarah Zanussi, S-A-R-A-Z-A-N-U-S-S-I. Um, our specific initiative, Communication, is C-O-M Music, A-T-I-O-N-M-N.org. Um, and you can like us on Facebook at Communication Minnesota or Instagram or CMC Choir. Um, thank you so much for having me, Marcelo. It's been a pleasure. And I would love to be in touch with anyone who's happy to be, has any questions or anything like that. But I'm happy to put all this in the notes as well. So thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you, Sarah. All the best. Thanks.